The first trial of the former officers charged in the killing of George Floyd is underway. Police officers are rarely prosecuted in such cases, and the world will be watching. The Minnesota Public Radio newsroom, which has followed this case in detail from the beginning, will bring listeners updates on this monumental trial and the consequences it holds for the city and the country. Listen to In Front of Our Eyes wherever you listen to podcasts. A warning to listeners. This podcast includes audio of intense situations and uncensored profanity. On July 6, 2016, a police officer stood at the driver's side window of Philando Castile's white Oldsmobile and fired seven shots. That officer is Geronimo Yanez. His name was released to the press 24 hours after the shooting. Police now identifying the shooting officer as Geronimo Yanez. There was an officer, Geronimo Yanez. Immediately, everyone was talking about him, but no one knew very much about him. A police or union or his attorney, no one has really come forward with a, a side of the story from the officer. I'm John Collins. And I'm Reham Fashir. And this is 74 Seconds. We're reporters with Minnesota Public Radio, and we're telling the story of a traffic stop that turned fatal. Last episode, we introduced you to Philando Castile, the man who was killed that night. In this episode, we'll cover the story of Geronimo Yanez, the man who pulled the trigger, the man who has been charged in Castile's death and will go on trial next week. If you haven't already, go back and start with episode one. We'll be following this case through to the upcoming trial. Yanez is the first Minnesota police officer in any record we can find to ever be charged with shooting and killing someone on duty. And the only time we've heard him speak in 10 months is when he appeared in court to plead not guilty. Through his lawyers, Yanez has declined requests for an interview. So to tell his story, we've had to work around that silence. Geronimo Yanez has almost no digital presence, which is unusual for a guy in his 20s. We know some things were taken down right after the shooting. Except for his MySpace page. That is still up. He probably forgot his password, like the rest of the world. I don't think he's used the page since college. A lot of the photos show him with a big, huge grin and glasses, wearing a Mavericks football t-shirt. It's the mascot of Mankato State. There's another photo. We found it on the St. Anthony Police Department's website. That photo went everywhere after the shooting. It was taken in 2014. The photo shows Yanez standing stick straight, stone-faced, in his full uniform down to his white gloves. He's not tall, broad-shouldered. Behind him, carved into stone, is a Bible verse. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The photo was taken at a memorial for fallen police officers outside the state capitol. That was the way a lot of the world first saw him once the news broke. Now his booking photo is online, too, if you Google him. It was taken this past November. In that picture, he's looking down, away from the camera. So what we know about Yanez comes from things like this. The photos that survived his digital blackout. His work records. The few people at the edges of his life willing to talk. 
And what we know is Yanez is Minnesotan, born and raised. He's Latino. He grew up in the working-class Twin Cities suburb of South St. Paul. He's 29 now, married with a one-year-old daughter. He lives in Vadness Heights, a more affluent suburb to the north, in a house twice the size of the one he grew up in. People told us that before all this, Yanez was a determined go-getter, a high achiever who people remembered as enthusiastic and natural leader. High school is the perfect example of this. He graduated in 2006 from South St. Paul Secondary. The town used to be filled with meatpacking plants and stockyards. And even though that's all been gone for years, the high school teams are still the Packers. The mascot is Sirloin. He's a bull. I went through his yearbooks, and Yanez was solidly in the overachiever category. He played football, hockey, and baseball. He wrestled. He was on the math team. He got the award for most school spirit. His senior year, he was named homecoming prince. The photos in the yearbook, him in a too big black suit with this goofy velvet crown, standing next to a girl in a pink strapless dress with long brown hair. That girl is Amanda Yanchuri. Yanchuri lives in Boston now. Hi, this is Amanda. Hey, Amanda, it's John Collins at NPR. How are you? She was torn about talking to me. I should tell you, Mm -hmm. my feelings on this are very complicated, and I feel lots of different things. Uh, She's a supporter of Black Lives Matter, she said. She doesn't want people to think she's chosen a side because she's saying nice things about Yanez. That was just the guy she knew. Because their last names both started with Y, they got paired together all the time. The best word she could find to describe him is chipper. His locker would be next to mine, and he would just like come creaming around the corner inevitably every single day. Like, hey, man, how are you doing? Like, what's going on today? And um, without fail. She hasn't seen him in years, except on Facebook. The news of the shooting came like a punch in the gut, she said. It had always made sense to her that Yanez became a cop. She said he was the sort of guy that you wanted to be a cop. I hear people talk about what happened and talk about him specifically. And it is so crazy to me that they're talking about somebody that I know. It definitely doesn't feel um, real. So she's still struggling to reconcile this. How was the friendly guy she knew in high school the same person that made international headlines for shooting Philando Castile? After high school, Yanez went to Mankato State. The school is about an hour and a half south of the Twin Cities. It's in the middle of farm country. He majored in law enforcement. Yanez's name is still up on the wall there. He won the Baton of Honor his senior year. It goes to only two top law enforcement graduates each year. Yanez worked a bunch of odd jobs during and after college before getting hired as a cop. He rolled burritos at Chipotle. He was a bouncer at a heavy metal bar. He worked security at Vikings games. A year and a half out of school, he was hired by the St. Anthony Police Department. St. Anthony is another Twin Cities suburb, middle class, mostly white. Its officers police not just the bounds of St. Anthony, but the neighboring suburbs of Lauderdale and Falcon Heights. After the break... Geronimo Yanez's Life as a Cop. If you're looking for more great stories in investigative journalism, there's another podcast you have to check out. Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. 
Each week, Reveal takes you into a hidden world or exposes a problem that most people know nothing about. We here at American Public Media recently teamed up with Reveal on an episode related to the case of Philando Castile. You'll hear more about that later in this episode. But you should definitely check out Reveal and all of its investigations. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or anywhere you download your podcasts. And we're back. Okay, we've gone through every file the St. Anthony Police Department gave us on Yanez. And this, it was crazy to me when I saw it. Yanis started work in St. Anthony on Monday, November 21st, 2011. That Tuesday, he was sworn in. And that Wednesday, he took a 28-year-old black man to jail. The man didn't have a valid license. He was driving a 1984 Chevy Monte Carlo with a burned-out brake light. And that man's name was Philando Castile. Four years, seven months, and 13 days before the fatal stop in Falcon Heights. Yanis took Philando Castile to jail his very first week as a cop. This was one in Philando Castile's string of 40-plus traffic stops that we told you about last episode. It was during those years when he did not have a valid license. Every stop made it worse. Yanis is not the one who pulled him over, but he was the one who took Philando Castile to jail. His very first week on the job. This is where we need to talk about the St. Anthony Police Department and traffic stops. We didn't just go through the records on Yana's. We went through records on every traffic citation their officers wrote over five years. And what we found is the sort of thing you'd find at a lot of departments across the country. In the area the department patrols, the population is only 7% black, but 44% of people ticketed were black. For years, the St. Anthony Police Department has disproportionately ticketed black drivers for things like broken taillights, busted headlights, or even when the little lights that shine on your license plate go out. Yanez's work followed the same trend as the rest of the department. He had no formal complaints in his file, but we went through every traffic citation he wrote on the job, and he had the same disproportionate rate of citing black drivers. I was pulled over right here, right here. Digging through those records, I found the name Tia Williams. She was pulled over by Yanas in St. Anthony in the fall of 2015. I tracked her down. And he was like the worst police officer I've ever dealt with in my life. Williams is black. She told me she accused Yanas of racially profiling her when he stopped her. And he saw me right there and he zoomed up on me. And I'm like, oh, no, he's not going to play cat and mouse with me. I'm going to stop right here right now. Whatever it is you need, come over, you know. So I stopped right there, and then that's when he pulled me over. Williams agreed to show me where the stop happened, but she said she didn't feel comfortable driving in St. Anthony by herself anymore. So we met in the parking lot of a strip mall a few miles away. Like right over here, because I could see my house. She brought her dog, a big black pit bull. He took a nap in the backseat of my car while we drove. So we went to the spot where he pulled her over. This is the street I lived on. Yep, right here. This is squat tape from that stop. You can hear her asking why he's pulling her over. Hello. Hi, what? Okay, you can drop the attitude, okay? Why are you, okay. are you profiling me? I see you watching the car. It's dark out. I can't even see inside the car. It's dark out. I can't even see inside the car, he says. Your attitude determines where this traffic stop goes, whether it ends in a citation or ends in a durable warning. He tells her, your attitude will determine how this stop goes. He impounded her car. Come in. 
and explained to the tow truck driver what happened. She wasn't too happy. She accused me of being racist. She accused me of being racist, he says. Started saying stuff about minorities, and I don't think she saw my skin color. She started saying stuff about minorities, and I don't think she saw my skin color. I don't know. Just caught her on the wrong day. I'm Mexican. Yeah. I'm Mexican, he says. That's how he responded to Williams' claims of racial profiling. Williams never filed a formal complaint. Yeah. She didn't leave the keys in there. I told her that the vehicle is subject to damage if she doesn't leave the ignition key in there. Some residents in his patrol area had positive things to say about Yanez. Our doorbell rang at like uh, one, in, one in the morning, and it was like a weekend, and we were still up. And uh, we came to the door, and we saw a car pull, or a vehicle pulling away, and we looked outside, and all of our lovely trees were filled with toilet paper. That's Sheridan Anderson. I went to visit her and her husband at their house in Falcon Heights. It's less than a mile from where Philando Castile was shot. Yanez was one of the cops who showed up at Anderson's house after it got toilet papered. Because Falcon Heights is the kind of place where cops will show up in the middle of the night for teenage hijinks. I don't know. We felt that both of the police officers were very personable and I don't know, responsive. They were great. Anderson told me about another time when Yanez gave her son a coupon for free ice cream because he was wearing a bike helmet. We found a lot of this kind of community engagement stuff. Yanez doing a benefit run for the Special Olympics or playing basketball with kids. Yanez's job at St. Anthony meant, for the most part, a quieter gig than the nearby big urban departments of Minneapolis and St. Paul. Until July 6, 2016, the St. Anthony Police Department had not had a police shooting in more than 40 years. Records show that 80% of his department's arrests were traffic-related. Yanez worked nights, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., a 12-hour shift. You can imagine what those hours were like. Traffic stop. Traffic stop. Suspicious activity. Traffic stop. Yanez did a lot of traffic stops. And we reviewed city records of traffic stops he made. We requested dash cam tapes for about two dozen of them. Half of our request was denied. A lawyer for the city told us either the videos don't exist or the city didn't use squad cameras at the time of the stop. In the videos the city did provide, Yanez is friendly. Sometimes he's a little prickly. But out of 14 tapes we received and watched, one tape jumped out at us. This is the dash cam recording from Yanez's cruiser on November 6, 2015, eight months before he shot Philando Castile. Yanez pulls a car over on Highway 280. It's a narrow four-lane divided highway. He approaches the driver's side window, and he's basically standing on the white line as he talks to the driver. How's it going, man? The reason I pulled you over, did you know your brake light out on your passenger side? Yeah. He's friendly about the stop. He even lets the driver get out to look at the brake light. But when he's back, standing at the driver's window, this happens. If anything, I can arrange a ride. car passes right next to Yana's. It almost hits him. It's so close. It comes within inches. At that point, Yana's totally abandons the first stop. You know, I literally almost just got hit by a car. My car is still uh, southbound 280 South Como. I'm going to try and catch up this car. <sighs> he follows the car for two minutes. It's not stopping. 
It pulls off the highway, down a side road. It's still going. I got it right here. It's not stopping. Finally, it rolls to a stop on a quiet residential street. Vehicles now stopped. Occupied two times. Yanis thinks there are two people in the car. There's only one. The driver gets out, walks backwards, hands up. He's cooperating. Driver! Walk back towards my boy slowly! Keep walking! Keep walking! Keep walking! Take two steps to your left! Stop! Go down your knees! They're off the dash cam now. Yanas and another officer are cuffing the driver and frisking him out of frame. We can't see exactly what's happening. What's that, dude? It's a fucking weapon. Are you fucking serious? What else you got on you, bro? They find a weapon on him. Right away, Yanas thinks it's a gun. Get the fuck back there! Turns out to be a knife. And correction, They put the driver in the back of Yanez's squad car. More backup arrives. That's Yanez, breathing heavy. Other officers try to calm him down. Take a minute. I'm sorry, man. I just fucking flipped out of you. I flipped out, he says. Don't worry about it. Stuff happens. He keeps breathing like that. For 13 minutes. After we watched this tape, we wanted to know if Yanez's behavior that day fell within the boundaries of acceptable police behavior. We reached out to the St. Anthony chief. He declined to comment on whether he'd taken any action or discussed the incident with Yanez. Other people in law enforcement we talked to say Yanez is right in chasing the car that almost ran him over, but they still have some concerns. Michael Quinn is a retired Minneapolis police sergeant who now works as a consultant and trainer. He says the way Yana's reacted isn't necessarily unusual. Yeah, that's all pretty normal. Have your adrenaline kind of go through the roof on those. On the other hand, Quinn says the length of time it took Yana's to come down from that adrenaline rush, that stood out to him. You can hear the concern in the cops that are there, and they're the best judge of, of whether or not he's coming back to normal. You can hear it, and you're, you get concerned because it's not stopping and it's going on and on and on. And he's not the only one who thought that. Other people in law enforcement we showed the video to say Yanez's breathing raises questions about how he behaves under stress. Handling stress through breathing is actually part of police training. Police officers we've talked to have emphasized that. Yanez's training in general became a central issue after the shooting of Philando Castile. People wanted to know, did his training kick in that July night or did it fail? His department released his training records. It includes things like use of force training, 
firearms training, defensive driving, first responder, writing, street survival. We're going to talk about two of the courses listed in these training records specifically. The first is called Bulletproof Mind. Because three things have to happen. Number one, you have to have the gun. Number two, you have to be able to use the gun. Number three, you have to be willing to use the gun. We're going to explore the dynamics of another human being looking at you across the sights and you pulling the trigger and snuffing their life out. That's Dave Grossman in a YouTube video of the training posted in 2008. Grossman is a retired Army officer and former West Point psychology professor. He's the author of the book On Killing. The Bulletproof Mind course is designed to mentally prepare officers to face life-threatening situations. Yanaz's records say he took 20 hours of this course in 2014, two years before the shooting of Philando Castile. The individuals that you face out there on the streets have a capacity for violence that transcends anything we've ever seen before. You are dealing with individuals who are incredibly well-qualified and trained. You're not dealing with ragtag, uh, odds and ends criminals out there. You're dealing with individuals who are motivated to kill in a way that we have never seen before. After Philando was shot, critics immediately seized on the fact that Yanez had taken this training. Some said the course could cause cops to see everyone as a threat. So to understand more about this course and what cops might be taking away from it, I talked to Jim Glennon. He travels the country leading bulletproof seminars. Even as I talk to you, you're very nice, and you and I have had some nice conversations, but you're biased. Uh, You've never been a police officer. So whatever you've heard about police, whatever you've seen about police, um, even if it's TV shows, even if it's fantasy like NCIS or something like that, you cannot help that that has somehow affected your implicit, implicit beliefs, your implicit bias about law enforcement. I asked if I could attend a Bulletproof Mind training session. Glennon said no, that he no longer lets journalists attend his training. But he talked a little bit about the things that he teaches. It's two days normally. And uh, while, yes, we talk about officer safety, and that is a, a foundation of the course, We also talk about communication, we talk about uh, bias, we talk about prejudice, we talk about body language. So we we run the, it's the gamut of how to, you know, survive emotionally and physically, even financially and psychologically over an entire career, not just surviving a gunfight uh, or or an eight-hour shift. Glennon disagrees with critics who think the bulletproof mind training could be related to the Philando Castile shooting. So let me ask you this. Let's say that any kind of training, ours or anybody else's, is making somebody paranoid. Why would it take two and a half years for that paranoia to manifest itself? And what training did he have between our training and the day he pulled the trigger? One training we know he had in between Bulletproof Mind and the shooting is de-escalation training. That's the other training we're going to talk about here. To help us understand de-escalation training, we asked Curtis Gilbert to join us. Testing. I still don't hear me, though. Oh, how bad do I sound? No, you sound okay. Like really loud, right? I usually am. Curtis is a colleague of ours. He works at APM Reports, the national investigative arm of American public media. He pulled training records for departments all across the country and across Minnesota. He looked at training for officers in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and every surrounding suburb, including St. Anthony. One interesting thing was, one, there's a lot of training going on. Two, not very much of it 
is in this uh, kind of topic called de-escalation, which is a type of training that's been around for a long time and is basically designed to reduce the use of force. Mm -hmm. And so it teaches police to slow down, to buy themselves time, to use communication skills, to use tactics, to avoid getting into a situation where their only option is to use deadly force, shoot their weapon at someone. Yanez's records show exactly what Curtis is saying here about how little de-escalation training departments are giving their officers. In all of Yanez's training records, he has only two hours listed for de-escalation. Two hours over five years. Two hours out of 344 total training hours. Which raises a really crucial question. So have people that you've talked with suggested that the shooting of Philando Castile wouldn't have happened or would have been different if there was a priority in de-escalation training? Well, you know, it's so hard to say with any individual situation. But one thing um, that the data does show is that most police shootings happen in a really short amount of time. And so um, there is a certain logic to the idea that if you slow things down you preserve more options. I mean, San Francisco has put a, a good number of its police officers through de-escalation training. And one thing that they had done was look at all of the officer-involved shootings that, that had happened over the la previous several years. And they saw that um, you know, most of the shootings happened in two minutes or less, right? And basically, the, a huge number happened in less than a minute, and um, a few more happened in less than two minutes. And once you got over three or four minutes, five minutes, the chart just falls off a cliff. Hmm. And so the lesson that police departments are drawing from that is that if you buy yourself more time, you will preserve more options and you will be able to resolve situations without having to resort to deadly force. The shooting of Philando Castile happened in under two minutes. It happened in 74 seconds. Next time. We break down this fatal traffic stop by the second. You can keep up with the trial and everything related to the case by following us on Twitter at 74SecondsMPR. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And if you can, give us a rating. It really helps people find the show. 74 Seconds is hosted and reported by me, John Collins. And me, Reham Fashir. It's produced by Tracy Mumford and Hans Buto. It's edited by Paul Tosto, Meg Martin, and Mike Edgerly. Production assistance by Manda Lilly. This episode was engineered by Corey Shruppel. We had additional reporting from the staff of NPR News. For more about police training, including its role in the Philando Castile shooting, don't miss Curtis Gilbert's project with APM Reports and Reveal. You can find it on the Reveal podcast. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. Special thanks to Samara Freemark, Madeline Barron, Curtis Gilbert, Molly Bloom, and Jonathan Blakely. 74 Seconds is a production of NPR News and American Public Media.
This is Tracy from 74 Seconds, and we wanted to let you know that our colleagues at APM Reports just launched the new season of their award-winning podcast, In the Dark. In this second season, they explore a new story with life-or-death consequences. It's the case of four people who were killed in a small town in Mississippi, and the story of why a black man on death row has been tried six times for those murders. You can listen and subscribe to In the Dark on Apple Podcasts.